0: Come for the Gormley hello, stay for the Gormley goodbye. Oh, why does God mock me?
1: How you doing, man? Hmm. I'm good.
0: I had a work event tonight. that was very fun. It was just a social, love things like that. So what do, you
1: do, what do you do at a social work event?
0: You schmooze, you drink booze, you compliment people on in their incredible house, and you uh, just talk to everyone that's, that's in the room. You go up, you say hi, especially if you're the one that they want to talk to. Everyone's always excited to see you. And for the most part, if you just initiate conversation, people are fine. Are people excited to see you? Oh, people are always excited to
1: see me. Always? I'm new, so ah, that's the thing. You're of- new in the Catholic school? Or you're new to this group? I'm new to this group. Okay.
0: So they're always very excited to see you because you're new. Sorry for the loud noise. I'm trying to, eh, whatever, who cares. So I schmooze, I talk, I say hi, I ask people about their background and what they do, and I make jokes about, we talk about what uh, drinks that we like and sports and blah, 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 blah. It's fun. I love it. It's a part of the job that I love. What is the point of it? Uh, for people just to, uh, so tonight was for them to meet some new members of the administration team, and because I have been there only for about five months now, if that, uh, it was like, hey, you should be there too. And, of course, these are people that I want to get to know in case they want to donate and build up a, a relationship with them so I can get to know them, what their passions and their interests are, and find opportunities for them to be able to be involved in a way that's meaningful to them.
1: Held at a rich person's house? Uh, I don't a very nice house. Oh, nice. Okay. So I, I don't want to speak. I'm not trying to be, not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be. Rude. Yeah,
0: no, and I don't want to. You know, I don't know this person might be some people who listen, yeah. so I want to be. You know, respect that. And, yeah. Uh, but it was, it was it was fun, great, it was such incredible hospitality, incredible. Uh, we have a good community, so that makes my job easy. Yeah. It's all about trying to match people with what things that they care about. That's it. That's it. That's it. it. That's it.
1: Nice. Yep. And then you just moonwalk out of their lives like you didn't even care and you you weren't even there. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, on to the next higher paying job. You're like, look at me, look at me. All I exist to do is to create a higher paying transaction.
0: Woo! My life has no meaning. Oh my gosh. No, I'm just kidding. It has meaning. It's good. You're you're helping. Listen, good fundraising. It's helping people. They want. It's helping people make a real impact on something that is deeply important. Okay, what about bad fundraising? Transactional. Now, transactional is not always bad. It's not always bad. But Mm. bad fundraising, I'd say, is more guilt-ridden slash transactional. Mm. You think you're doing a higher amount, but it's just transactional.
1: Okay. And you're not okay. interested
0: in the person's like interests or passions. You just want money for your now. There are times when you just need money. It's like, listen, I get it, you have things you care about, but right now we desperately just need money. There is a theory in fundraising and I forget the name of it. Uh, it's really interesting though, and it's that sometimes donor sometimes the fear is that fundraising has become so what we call donor centric. So it's all about the donor, their wants, their needs, their passions, their interests. We've become so donor-centric that we forget the beneficiary. Mm. And so that uh, we need to remember that these people have a right to – the people that we are serving have a right to be served and have a right to – for me to ask for money on their, on their behalf. So you don't want to ever – the idea is that you don't want to go too far down donor – the road of donor-centrism that you – uh, ignore or forget the needs and the rights of uh, the person that
1: you are raising money for. That's really interesting because mm-hmm. I have no idea how church fundraising comes in that. Because in, in a sense, the beneficiary is also the donor Yeah,
0: yeah, and, across and that, the board. Yeah, and that happens. And that does happen. I think with church, I think church is probably a little bit different because we have such a... Now, some people would argue that church is very transactional. And I would say, probably to, okay. a, to an extent, that is true because you pass the bucket around and you give and you put the money in the bucket. But you put the money in the bucket because, like, you really care for the most you part. You believe in the thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, so let me throw this out at you. Let me throw this out at you. My number one problem with church givers, oftentimes people don't give to the offertory, which can go anywhere. They only give to a particular thing, mm-hmm. which is a major problem. Right. And then on top of that, um, we have several accounts that are untouchable by the general parish. Just for instance, a building fund or a construction fund or a capital campaign, all that money has to go to the thing that the people pledge the money for, right? Mm-hmm. And so if they're saying, well, I only want this to go to a future building fund, and it's like, okay, well, we have a million dollars in a build fund, but we can't turn our lights yeah, on. Yes. Right? That's like a fascinating thing that we – haven't it hasn't gotten that bad, but it's gotten really close to that bad for us over COVID. Mm-hmm, sure, and it's sure. like, oh, look at this—we have a capital campaign, but at the same time, offertory is at historic lows—not just all-time low in any one month, but for month after month after month. Okay, so a few things. One, um, this is a major problem, and this is one
0: of the dangers of being so donor donor uh, donor centric. And that you kind of lose sight of, uh, well, actually, we need to keep the lights on, please. There's a stewardship aspect to it where you want to be able to, you want, like, it's really about what do you want them to experience, right? So it's the feel that they're a part of a thing that they deeply care about. Now, there's a project that really speaks to their needs. That's a great opportunity. That's what. That's really what major giving is, is where you uh, people are giving out high amounts to think that they really care about for a project that is deeply important to to them. But... The problem is that that is what we would call a restricted gift, and it, by law, has to be used towards that gift, which is the problem that you have. Now, this is very common. This is why a school like, oh, let's just say the University of Notre Dame. Perhaps you've heard of it.
1: I can wait. So I ran out to talk to my wife and my earbuds broke connection. Oh, so fine. You were talking about donor specific funds. That's interesting. Go on. Yeah, so uh,
0: perhaps you've heard of uh, a school. It's a it's a tiny school in the Midwest called the University of Notre Dame. Ooh, uh, I think
1: if you get a Franciscan university. Or no,
0: something? no, no. One that where they actually have um, integrity. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's a word. I love no. Franciscan. I don't know oh, why I said that. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Oh, Father Dave, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, No, (laughs) I don't know why. I was just... You know what's funny? I found myself becoming very, like... I'm just so territorial, you know? So now I'm, like, bringing on people at Franciscan who don't like Notre Dame. Bring it the f*** on. Let's do this. Even though I love both tremendously. Um, So... At um, Notre Dame, they have, they have like a $23 billion endowment. That's B with the – you know, and this is all in there. Like you can find this information very, very easily. So $23 billion. Now, but why does Notre Dame have a development office of like 300 people? They have a $23 million endowment. Good question because think about it. You've got a $1 million scholarship for a kid that went to this high school out and say um, Dayton, Ohio, who went to this parish who grew up on this block who was this major. And that those funds are reserved in an account that is occurring that is accruing um interest to, in perpetuity to provide scholarships for those kinds of kids. They cannot touch that. There have actually been schools with like large endowments that have had to almost shut down or have said they were going to they were going to, but then people then um, people stepped in that had like a million-dollar endowment, but they're like, we can't use any yeah, of it. That's crazy to me. And we can't stay open. Yeah, it is. It is. But in, it, it's supposed to pr- protect the donor, which I don't think is a, is a unnecessary bad thing. But there's been such a – over the past 20 years, there's been such like a shift towards donor-centric um, – towards a donor-centric focus. And part of that is that you have a gift for like, well, what they really care about. It has to be used for that. Here's, the, here's another awesome example. Uh, my, my accounting class brought this up. But stuff like this happens all, all the time. I believe at Duke Law School, um, the Nixon on the foundation or his family or he himself gave a gift to them with the caveat that there needed to be a painting of him. And then Watergate happens, and they hung up the painting in the janitor's closet, which, like, followed the letter of the law. So they couldn't get sued. <laughs> so, and you've had people where I, uh, gosh, who was it? Um, someone sued a group because they used his, uh, Garth Brooks sued a group that used his money in a way that he, they, that he didn't, like they basically violated that and he got it back, which very, very, very rarely happens. You have to really screw up in order for that to happen. So it's actually on the onus of the fundraiser to steward the donor well to say this is what we really need. So if you need unrestricted gifts, you want to make the donor understand that and this is 100% true that the money they give allows this group to exist. And you need to they need to feel the value of of that. So it's up to me to make sure they have that experience with their when they give. So that they can see, oh my gosh, okay. So, every, like, you know, what's the most common? What's the most common complaint out there? Why should the person at the Red Cross make you know ten million dollars a year? Well, he's delivering. He or she is, you know, they are. Um, giving you a billion dollars in value. So, do you want a person who can give you a billion dollars in like in, um, in value, where it means they're I'm um, saving lives, or do you want a person when there are like crazy emergencies, where we're only going to give you $100, one hundred a million dollars in value, right? And so it's people will give money to things that they care about if you make them feel like they are a part of it because they are they absolutely are, and so for in in a, in, in the case of like so let's say like your church I'm not sure if your church is the is the example here so I'll say your hypothetical church there'd be a, now let's take COVID out of it right there'd be a, a couple things one did you do a feasibility uh, did you do a feasibility study before you did your own capital campaign. Which basically asks, are you ready to do a capital campaign of this own
1: size? Do you have a donor base? Okay, so here's something that I have found that happened to churches. Okay? And I don't know if this is across the board, but I've heard multiple people say this. That oftentimes what can happen is uh, architects, designers, will come to them and say, Hey, I just want to have a conversation with your people about... Like, the space that you're using. And so what they do is they come in and they say, let's dream big. Let's just dream big. If you could have your wildest dreams come true for your parish, what would that look like? Not having meetings like this. Yeah, well, and you begin saying, like, okay, well, one of the things that constrains us is space or storage or large meeting rooms or small gathering spaces, whatever it might be. Then at the end of that, they put together a proposal that reflects 400 different opinions. And when you know it, that stuff gets really expensive. Mm -hmm. So then they encourage you to reach out to their capital campaign people. And all of a sudden it feels like there's so much momentum. Like it was like, give us your wildest dreams. Then becomes, uh, this is what we need to do in order to survive. Right? Like it feels like that Mm -hmm. by the time you get to the second or third stage. I don't know what stage it would be called, but. There's so much, like, movement now that you're like, yeah, we need to get a capital campaign. Because now everyone feels, oh, my goodness, we don't have enough small group space. We don't have enough large group space. We're suffering on this. We need more of that. And the momentum now, like, the snowball is going downhill, right? And it started small, and now it's an avalanche. And it was funny because um, I didn't know this until, uh, what, like, two weeks ago when I was teaching. Um, I'm teaching a class right now for... Parents who have adult children who have left the faith. I use Brandon Vaught's book, Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. And one of the statements that he makes, he goes through these studies that, yes, I will admit, Luke, Notre Dame helped contribute the sociological data and the studies that they did because they did all these surveys. And it was, why have you left the church? It just asked the kids. And when they ask adults why they left the church, like reason number three or four is because you ask me for money all the time. And I realized that comes from two different things. It comes from big churches want to get bigger, and it comes from small churches barely able to breathe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the pastor's like, I can't keep the lights on. I can't keep the lights on. I can't keep the lights on. Donate. Give. Give. And I've heard people say that to me all the time. Now, that's never been my experience. My experience is, let's dream. Where is the future of the church? Where can we go? Like, what impact can we have on our parishioners if we have a better facility or, or you know, and and... In our case, I'm extremely happy that the first thing that we built was a food pantry. And we are the number two largest food pantry provider in our county for many of us who are – or many people in the pews that we've had to kind of sell the campaign to. A large, a large part of it felt like the responses that we got were, quit asking me for money. We just did another campaign a couple of years ago. Yeah. Why are we doing another one? And yeah. now another one. And yeah. now another one. You got donor fatigue. Which I would argue
0: isn't real. It is it, 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 it isn't. it isn't. People will give if they care, if they see that there's a real need. It's going to make a real impact. Like, how many times have you given to the um, Van Vickles? I don't have donor fatigue of that. I'd give as much as, yeah. a, as much as they need. I will give as much as they need. Like, if I see that there's a need, so I will absolutely give. But because I care and I want to see good things, you know, like, that's... It's really a sign of, like, poor stewardship is what that comes down to is that the, the 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 big red flag there for me is uh someone came to you was this a part of you did you guys have a plan was the was that a part of your plan did the holy spirit did like he move your guys' hearts no this just came from a person who's like hey build this oh my gosh we do need this and it's like well i mean yeah like we would – I mean, wouldn't it be great if you and I had, a like, a place where we could podcast that was off-site and, like, you know, a cool uh, co-working space that had, like, exposed brick walls but cool sound stuff and, like, hip coffee and beer?
1: Luke, that was part of the deal, a, a podcasting studio. How dare you? <laughs> of
0: course it was. But, like, do you – And we, we're getting it. We're yeah. getting it. Like, do we need <laughs> – great work. Um but we, we don't need it, right? Like, we don't – I mean, there, there are times when it would be helpful to
1: have a space where we right. do it. Where we, honestly, Convenience is a need. Convenience yeah. is not a yeah. need.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think there are times it's like, man, it would be cool to be in a creative space and wonder how that would help us be better at what we're doing. But, like, we don't absolutely have to have this to do our jobs. Yeah. You're, you know, like, yeah. so like, we will make the same amount of money uh, on the, except for the new ad that we just got. Very excited about that. Um, oh, my gosh. So excited. Right? So excited. Um Thank you, Parr. Yeah, thanks a lot, Parr. <laughs> Woo! Everyone, please keep doing this, please. Oh God, go to the site to tell it. We tell you to. Um, like, is it coming from a place of real? Like, like is your building at the end of its life? Then it's you know, like they, like you should know when you need to do these capital campaigns. It goes, hey, this building, we're going to get twenty five years out of this, then we're going or we're going to have to you know do some improvements in ten years. So like, you should have it spaced out, and then also you want to make sure this is really key part too. Um, and even mind, I've only studied this, I've never actually done it, but I've been around, especially this stuff enough, but I am being one of those people. It's like, well, here's what you do. It's like, well, Luke, have you done it? I'm like, no, but you want to make sure that the people that you are like, you're still doing your annual fund or for you guys, you're still collecting a money for a operation every year and you're spacing it out or replacing those people accordingly. So they don't. So they do feel stewarded well through that. You're showing them the impact of of like what they are doing. But if you're constantly trying to like build new stuff because you think you need new stuff and you're not actually stewarding your donors well, then you'll have donor
1: of fatigue. Mm, I like that. I like that because I can tell you personally, we have people who come to us all the time wanting to throw money at things. Yes. Not us. Mm -hmm. Right. Not the whole, but they love they they take the whole for granted and want to throw money at a thing that they love. So, for instance, we have one very beautiful person, a couple, a couple. The woman, re- the the wife, reached out to us. She's like, "I love Adoration. I love the Adoration Chapel. I want to make it more beautiful. Um, and, and this includes the carpets because I see that they're gross, <laughs> you know. And you know, they got like old wax on them, and we clean them and do all that stuff. But there are certain things. It's like, you know, they it's been there for you know fifteen years." It's just the maintenance stuff that you just hate to do because you feel petty, like, well, we need new high high traffic carpet in the chapel that's also beautiful, which means instead of costing $5,000, it's going to cost, you know, $12,000. And that's not in – I mean, it might be in our budget, whatever. But so this woman comes and says, well, I would love to make the Adoration Chapel more beautiful. And then we say, okay, that's great, but we also have leaky windows because the seals – Around these, you know, very thick, ornate windows are cracked and all of them need to be replaced. Yeah. Yeah. Now, she's the type of donor who would say, awesome. Whatever makes more people come to that chapel, I'm all about. But some donors will be like, no, you will, I will only pay for people to put pretty stars on the blue domed, you know, chapel so it looks more Marian. And it's like, yeah, okay, I get that. We want that. Like, I feel like it's that conundrum of the private college with a massive endowment, but they can't pay their teachers. salaries. Yeah.
0: And, and, yes, yes. And this is, this, is what I, this is where it's super important that um, you want to have qualified people well so that you're going on the through this. And you're like, okay, what, like, are you the kind of donor that I need right now? Like, I would love to get to a point where I'm able to tell people no or direct them to a place that, more, that fits what they're really interested in. Now, of course, it's, it's always more expensive to uh, add people than it is or to, to re- replace people than it is to just get a gift from a person that you already have. So you want to be careful on the, with that. But, like, ultimately, like, you're looking for gifts. And most gifts, and if you give a gift, that means there are no strings attached, right? Because if not, it's not a gift.
1: What is it, Luke? Uh a transaction. Yeah, yeah. Like are buying something.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's like I'm not interested in trying to feed your need for power or control or to like be important. I'm interested in trying to in on making you feel like you are a part of a thing that is very deeply important to you which you are are which you are a part of. Like, you know, and like you like it's I'm trying I'm trying to help you experience a thing that's like already happening, which is like you being a part of this thing that is deeply important to, to you. And that's where, like, that's why it's so relational now. Because it's constantly, like, it's, it, it's like I want my donors to feel like they, I want them to feel like we know them. Not only do I want to know things about them, I want them to feel known by us. To get to the point that when they refer to us, they use the word we. Mm. Now, at a school, at a parish, that's pretty easy uh a place like adore ministries that's hard like i give to adore and i love adore i love what adore does everyone please go and give money to adore adore is wonderful
1: link in the show notes
0: i don't use the word we when i talk about them i use i talk about them as a thing that i'm not a part of even though i give them 100 dollars a month i need to update my credit card because it hasn't been going through the past month like I'm giving because of Jonathan, because of Blaze, because of people who are a part of it that I really, really love, and like those are my friends that I that I care about, and that's why. I'm, and, and 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 I love what they do. That's transactional, and that's okay. That's okay. At some point in time, I'd love to get to a point where I'm able to give more and like build a relationship with them, based upon like the work they are doing, and not just because they're my friends doing stuff that that. I, that I think is cool. So in one sense, you do want those those transactional gifts because I give them a hundred dollars and I believe it's going to help pay for their missionaries' health care. I think, which means I really need to update my my credit card info. I had to change my card. Um, but like, I don't care how they use it because I'm like, I love you guys. Do whatever you want with it. I want you to exist. It's actually like real development is very very Christian because. Ultimately, you want people to give and not count the cost because they just care so much. And you want them to feel like they're a part of this thing that's deeply important to them, which is already true. So it's almost like a sacramental element to it. I hope I answered your question.
1: Yeah, I just think the hard thing for parishes and movements and different groups is there's money that's out there. Um, but everyone feels sleazy asking people to give, but at the same time, when, when you believe in your cause and you want to invite people in, it seems like nine times out of 10, and this is a broader conversation I actually wanted to have tonight. I feel like nine times out of 10, it's not a cause for people to believe in. It's a cause for, for control or for one's own personal self-worth that's independent of the cause or it's, um, uh, a consumer choice, right? Like a transaction. It's like I'm doing this because I want this to happen more, and I want to be a part of it. But not the ministry as a whole. Just this one thing that I see value in. And I I can't see something that that hamstrings parish ministry more. Like, you know, I I, I don't run a door ministries. It's our buddy Jonathan. I don't run a nonprofit. I don't know what that's like. What I know is at a parish, when people only give to the food pantry something can happen where the food pantry actually has an insane amount of money that they cannot spend it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I'm not saying that that's what St. Anthony's is at, but it can, it, it was at that moment at one point and it becomes very, um, because as you keep plugging it over and over and over again, uh, because it's an important ministry, you want to create awareness around it. People think, oh, well, I need to give money to that. And then they give money to that and they're like, well, at least they're not raping people and at least they're not, you know, like telling me to vote for a Democrat or vote for a Republican. You know, like they, yeah, they kind yeah, of yeah. sidestep all the political stuff. Yep. And that's where you see people give money. And, and my heart is like, okay, well, here's the problem with that. When you only give to the food pantry, that doesn't affect the salaries of the people who work in the food pantry. That doesn't affect the uh, lights that come on in the pre-dawn hours while they're prepping food for the food pantry. And they yeah. want to have a safe place to pull their parked car in. And people don't think about the nuts and bolts. All they think about is me likey this thing, me give money to it. Yeah. And it drives me insane. Yeah. And I think one thing that is super important
0: that people need to start doing when they do things is building the actual cost for it. And this I did learn. At, and I've, I've, I've – I've had this on my mind for a long time, but it was at Notre Dame where I saw how you could do it. And and it's very easy, so it it makes sense. But actually allocating costs a certain way, we're talking, okay, so how much does it cost to run your youth ministry program? Do you build salaries? Do you build the maintenance staff time there? Do you build the IT support time there? Do you build... Are you you allocating that appropriate? Because, like, you might say, well, I have a $100,000 budget, uh, which would be insane if you had that. Um, And if you do have that... Go to Catching Foxes a hundred
1: a hundred thousand budget a thousand dollar budget for youth ministry. Yes, and I'm saying if oh, you, mine is mine is uh, twice tw- that. If if you if you have a two hundred thousand dollar budget for yeah. youth
0: ministry, please go to CatchingFoxes.fm book a live show. That's <laughs> uh, I listen. Th- we'll, we'll we'll dumb yeah. this down for high school kids very easily. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no curse words. There will be there will be things we will imply, but there will be no foul language.
1: Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I say that because the revenue derived from people registering for the programs is where salaries, not entirely, but for the most part, come from. And the average parishioner thinks that there's this, um, oh, we're in the woodlands, it's rich, it's wealthy, it's suburban, it's all these things. And they just think that we have this insane amount of money, and it's not there, and the clergy aren't there. So if you don't have uh, super active clergy that are able to run everything – you have to pay lay people because volunteers aren't there. And so when you pay lay people, you have to pay more money for good lay people because these are people who spent years getting degrees at private, aka Catholic institutions. So now you're hiring someone with a theology degree or a master's degree, they're not gonna work for $20,000. Yeah. They're not going to work for $10,000 like some nun that you were able to take advantage of because she belonged to a community and you had, you know, three members of her convent getting a, you know, $500 a month paycheck. Yeah. These are people who are trying to support families. And so the additional burden of that is uh, everyone wants the services. Uh, and this is what COVID revealed to me. Everyone wants the services of full-time youth ministry staff, but no one wants to pay for it. But what we find is the most... Consumer-driven parents are the ones who are least involved and least ready to give, but they are the ones who demand the universe Mm -hmm. from us without realizing, like, beforehand, we had seven people in this department who worked full-time. Now we have four plus me who isn't, you know, I have to carve out a quarter of my time, if not more, in order to help youth ministry survive. That's transactional. Because they see, like, I'm giving you this,
0: I expect this in value or this in return. I want to see this stuff. You know, I still want to see all my stuff because I'm involved. And I care. You know, right? Like, it's it's not a uh, gift that is that is freely given. And ultimately, if you have you have brought your development program to a place where, and this is so hard, and it's a crapshoot, and it's like. It's not an exact science. It's an art and it's a science. And sometimes you lean heavily into one of those areas and sometimes things work out. It's like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. That is still transactional, you know, and, and it's it's ultimately important that like you guys have an understanding of what is your actual cost to to do this in the fullest sense. That means that, that's, you know, so if you have a $300,000 of a budget and that includes your guys' pay, does that – or like, you know, like, like one-fourth of your pay, whatever – does that include the maintenance staff's pay? Does that include the cost of the light? Does that include your IT, your IT, almost support cost? Anything that supports what you guys do that is not generating revenue, uh, and, and and I would say you guys are a revenue generating thing because people are giving money for this thing. Like most people aren't giving money because of to IT, right? Like you guys aren't supporting anything at the pair, so I would classify you as as a as a revenue I'm generating, um. Program, even though you don't really generate revenue. Yeah, okay. But you guys don't exist to support other things that your peers. So like they, so they can you know make things happen. Yeah, fair enough. Like you're the thing that happens, right? And so yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Okay. So when when we're doing these things that someone wants to give to. Youth ministry, are you saying it costs us $300,000 300, a year or are you actually saying it actually costs us $375,000 a year? Now, so that when you can get your – when you can pay for all of this, then your IT and your maintenance and your and the light bulbs and the paint on the walls and the maintenance and all of that is covered. And are you doing that for
1: everything? Now, that's hard. That takes a lot of work and it's hard to do that. I'll tell you why it's even more complicated for a parish is – One, you have simony, which is a mortal sin, and you can't sell the sacraments and church offices and stuff like that. But the other thing is you're lumped in this American mindset called charity. And so if you demand any, if if you make it mandatory to demand financial revenue, you know, revenue in order to sustain your ministry, you are deemed, you know, worshiping mammon, not God. And the problem is I have to pay people salaries plus their pension plus their employee insurance plus, you know, health insurance plus, like, all these different things. And it starts to add up to the point where it, like, gives you ulcers at night when you start to think about everything. Mm-hmm. But most people mo- – the average parishioner, when they see a uh, – let's say the choir director who runs all the – music, the director of music ministry, whatever you call him, they think of them as a guy or a woman who's in charge of a bunch of volunteers – They don't think of it as, well, here's a full-time person who's trying to support a family who needs health insurance. Mm -hmm. So he's not going to work for $10,000 a year. This isn't a volunteer. Most people, when they think of church ministry workers, think of them as solely volunteers. But they don't realize that, like, oh, well, the organist wants to get paid. And the guitarist wants to get paid for your your hip youth mass and you know you got all these vocalists and you got all this stuff and no one it just bothers me because there, there are so some of it is like way overblown but some of it is like like the parish demands the best but will only pay for McDonald's yeah yeah yeah
0: or the, or they want the they want the time investment from a person that demands um, compensation in order for them to be able to do it yeah you know and so and that's and that's tough and that's where i think like um, and and you know, and you're right at, at a parish, it is a bit weird. You can't be like, well, the sacraments we need people to pay X amount of dollars for. This, but like, can you build the cost? Like, I, I would probably allocate the cost of the sacraments.
1: I don't know if I'd do that or not. That that'd be okay. Tough. That'd so, be tough. for instance, so for instance, let's just take something. Uh, we charge a, a really high amount for in in our area. It's not that high, but for most people, we charge $150 if you're a freshman in high school to join our youth ministry program. Most places, like $25, 30 $50, we charge 150 But that is for weekly life nights, socials, uh, you know, meals, snacks, drinks for hundreds of people, right? It's for a retreat. Not for the – if they want to go on retreat, they have to pay for their own retreat. But that covers the cost of core members going on retreat because you can't have a retreat without one chaperone for every 10 kids. If you don't have that, you're violating safe environment because you're creating an unsafe environment for the youth. So you need adults to be on there. How many adults are going to go from Friday afternoon to Sunday night if they also have to pay $150, $200 for a retreat. Isn't it crazy how heroic
0: that sounds now on the other side of that? Mm-hmm. Like, how heroic the people that do that. Like, you are truly you amazing. Are I'm not. Truly, I'm serious. It's
1: incredible. Yeah. I mean, I had this guy every year who would go on retreat to Covecrest uh, Lifeteen Summer Camp, which is Houston. We fly in a plane then we drive a 2 hour bus trip then we spend a week in summer camp bus back down to atlanta fly back to houston drive back home to the woodlands and he would pay for it all he'd be like this is my time with my kids this is awesome as a core member i get to be with my youth group my small group i get to be with my my own kids who are involved and you're like holy crap you are so rare yeah yeah And Most of the time, we have to subsidize everyone. So we also charge $200 or $150, something like that, for the confirmation retreat. But if you want meals that don't make you want to vomit, which is kind of important to have a good retreat, all of a sudden, you're talking – we are undercharging. We are losing money about $50 per kid. Yeah. But who would go on a confirmation retreat if I'm like, hey, we got this weekend that your kids don't want to do? And it's going to be $250. Thanks. Yeah. So we kind of build it into all of Youth Ministries' prices in order to cover the cost of these certain things that no one would ever pay up front. I think that, and I, I
0: want to make sure that I'm getting to like what, what you're asking, but I do think all, all, all of this is good. So you're saying, like, this idea of, can you go back to me and say, like, I wanted, to,
1: like, 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 this is what I wanted to I'll talk about here want to make sure that we are addressing that you you had said like you got to build in the cost of all these things and i'm like we do but people even balk at the cost of it but they still demand it right well, they no, still yeah. demand no, a no, weekend no. retreat
0: I, I'm, I'm saying not the cost to like people that you're charging them uh, uh, money to i'm saying the cost to you as an organization yeah so we need to like or what you what you need to budget so in order to do which which means this which means you need to know how much money do i actually need to raise this year so I might think I need to raise $5 million, but do I actually um need to raise, um you know? Eight. Yeah, or, like, even a bit um, less because, actually, you've allocated them in a way that's more, that's more, that's more, that's more, that's more like, efficient. So certain things you know that you're going to get, grants, PPP loans, like, what the hell ever. That is, that, like, you might actually say, you might not, you might find some um, money that, that you, you can use for things that you didn't really um, know that you could, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, which is probably at a parish rare, but at a parish, you have this weird thing where you guys like, why do parishes raise a lot of money? Well, they ask all the time. You guys ask every week. And I, I kind of think there's something interesting too, about that it's the fact that we do it as part of a ritual. I do wonder if that helps. I'd be, I'd, I'd be curious to see that, but I, I, I do know that during COVID, a lot of parishes that were able to raise money. During that time, made it very, very, very easy to give. Like Father Anthony from the, clerically speaking podcast, that like they like cut open a hole in their like a rectory door so people could drop off money, and they told them that's where you can give if you want. And they had like I, I believe this was him, and this is what, oh this is oh but they didn't. They had like tons of people who gave,
1: because
0: hmm. they just they they like get you want to find a way to make it as easy as you can and tell people you know like. Over and over and over and over and over again, to the point where they have seen it, you know, ten plus times. I know that if I need to give, I drop it off at the hole in the door,
1: <laughs> and it can be
0: that it can be that simple because it's just like, what else do you have? And that's why, and I, I'm all about online. I'm giving. I'm sure there's a ton of data to sh- to show that parishes that are engaging in like you know online giving are able to raise more. But it still comes down to, are you asking? And do you have the relationship with, um, 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 with them so that when you ask, they are they are going to give because they care? Which is what's happening during the during. The, everyone knows what's going on during the offertory. I'm not saying that right. Uh, when people yeah, no, you're money. like you're asking for money, you're saying, "Give me money now." Here's the basket, and everyone's like, "I would glad, like happily, like happy to do so." You know, because I care about you, and, and so it 's really it's, it's the same thing it 's the exact same thing, just done in a different way, perhaps it 's just one person or perhaps it 's a group of people that, that you were um, you know i 'm um, talking to, but but you 're just saying now 's the time to give. We would like for um, you to give, and depending upon their interests their and and their like interest, how much they can give, and how close they are to you that 'll indicate like th- like if they 're going to give to you or not because if they 're not if they don't if they don 't have money they can 't give now they now that's more for major gifts, so if, you know, like a, like a person who gives you five cents, but that's all that she has, is giving you way more than a person who gave you 20 bucks because they're still hungover, and that was what was in their wallet, i.e. Luke from 2007 to 2015. Um, <laughs> I had a rule. I would always give them the chains, and I was like, well, I'm out of cash now. Sorry, Church.
1: Um, guess I'll just work for you. Luke, real quick. Should I have been recording this? i'm just yes. kidding i'm just kidding i was gonna <laughs> I'm murder kidding. you um, <laughs> you know and um i feel like you've given me a bunch of free advice um what should how should i pay you for this advice
0: patreon.com slash cf patreon.com slash cf or just or just email me and i'll charge you like 20 bucks an hour and it'll be fine Is there something interfering with your happiness or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, I started going to therapy probably about maybe four months ago, maybe three months ago, and I just kind of realized that healing is something that the Lord wants us to receive, but healing is always an invitation from God. Quite often, he asks people to to, take a step out. We have to take action, and a great way to do that
1: is through a group called BetterHelp. BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It is not self help. It is professional counseling done securely. Online, The service is available for clients worldwide. You can um, log into
0: your account anytime, and I'm going to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone obsession, so you won't ever have to sit
1: in an uncomfortable waiting room. Those are weird, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if you feel like you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is indeed available. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. You can go to BetterHelp.com reviews and read some of the testimonials that are posted daily. So this is what we're going to do. We have a special offer for podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. You go to slash foxes, and you will get ten percent off your first month. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all fifty states. Join over one million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional counselor. BetterHelp dot com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring
0: this episode of Catching Foxes.
1: Hey, so uh, you know how my life sucks right now? Yeah. Okay. So, um, what a horrible friend. I, I didn't go, yeah, I was like, yeah, it does. Yeah, no, 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 no. We have that kind of friendship where you can say that that you're not a horrible friend. It's true. So, um, uh, look, can I give you an update? An yeah. update that yes. I will try my best not to bum everyone out. What I think everyone
0: probably like really wanted to hear. We're like, no, 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 we're yeah. gonna talk about uh, uh, raising money out of parish for 45 minutes first. <laughs> I'm gonna
1: edit a lot of that out because I, because this is I, our maybe, show. Maybe maybe I shared too much about my own parish's thing. Um, yeah. No, but uh, so we went to the doctor for a follow-up on Monday. Yeah. And the doctor, and you know this uh, to, for the most part, but the doctor came into our office and uh, sat down with us, or, you know, the exam room or whatever, and sat down with us. And she immediately pulled out three pieces of high-gloss printer paper that had six photos of my wife's womb um, on there from the laparoscopic surgery. So they make an incision at the belly button, that's the camera, and then three other incisions for the robot to do its surgery work. And neither of us were ready for that. I did not know that we had asked for that. She said we did. I don't remember that. And um, so she does this that was super crazy. She shows us in picture number two. She says, I went in and with these robot arms, I removed the bladder flap. And the bladder flap goes over the front of the uterus. And she said, and she looked at us. She goes, Do you see this? This little this little rectangle here? We're like, Yeah. She goes, That's an opening in the uterus. And we're like, okay. She said, I didn't make that. I'm like, what? She goes, Your womb ruptured. Gosh. And we're like, what? And she goes, yeah, there is a, f- I, I don't know what, it, what a four centimeter, I, I can't remember exactly. But she's like, your uterus already ruptured. But because of the scar tissue and the bladder flap, the bladder flap held everything in. Jeez. She said, when I remove, the first picture is her remove, like moving the bladder flap And then the second picture, so it's like the bladder flaps over the uterus. The second picture is the bladder flap moved up and a picture of this opening. And she said, you know, with ectopic pregnancies, the great fear is that your uterus will rupture when it's like in the scar tissue or, you know, obviously an ectopic pregnancy in the fallopian tube. When it ruptures, it will produce hemorrhages and the woman will feel an acute pain and but you might not have enough time to get to the hospital to stop the internal bleeding and you're like okay uh, you know and obviously we we bypassed that like everything was successful she told me I expected bleeding there was no bleeding or it was very minimal she said i wasn't expecting what i saw and i said w- what do you mean by this and she goes the scar tissue ripped open the yolk sac had already burst through the scar tissue And Shannon didn't feel it. Which means you never would have gone to the emergency room. Oh, my gosh. And she goes, you were minutes. Minutes from dying.
0: Okay, so I thought that you said that it was like a possibility that she was. But it it was
1: for sure like she could have died in a couple minutes. So Shannon's bladder flap, whatever flattering term that is prevented for the scar tissue. I like, I don't understand it. The doctor said I was shocked to see what I saw. So the, you know, for all you medical nerds out there who knew what I'm talking about, essentially what happened was my wife did not hemorrhage because the bladder flap prevented the baby from actually ejecting from the uterus. But the uterus at the scar tissue had actually split open. And after she moved the bladder flap, She takes us to picture number three and circles it with her pen. And she says, You see this black circle? That's your baby. (sighs) And she said, Your baby, this picture is just outside your uterus. She said, At most, you had a couple hours. So if you would have driven home and gone to bed that night a little early because you were tired from the day. If you had postponed this till Monday because it was Thomas's birthday. You would not be here, Shannon. So the craziness is dealing with the life and death reality. Like people have this phrase where they say, I felt like the Grim Reaper just walked over my grave, mm-hmm. right? I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever heard that expression. It's like, like my future grave, like he, like you've, you feel the coldness of that moment. Yeah. And yeah. for us, one, we see a picture of a black circle in some tissue that's blackened and that's my child who is no longer. So that was a bit much for me, but to realize the razor thin margins we were dealing with Was shocking, right? Just totally shocking. Yeah. And within that context, like, she said uh, to us, you know, I want to reiterate, your first child that you miscarried, Hope, and your second child, Benedict, that's what we named our our second miscarriage. She said, that saved your life. Because I never would have ordered an ultrasound that's five and a half, six weeks. Never would have. Right? Holy cow, man. Right so this is like like I don't know how to process this. Right? I don't know how to process this. But here was a heartbeat on Thursday morning, on Wednesday, Thursday night it's no longer existing. Now, there was she said, I want you to understand there's some consolation here in that the baby had already left. You know, or had already, you know, the 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 womb had already ruptured and the baby had already you know, begun its exit out of the uterus, which would have been catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. And she said, "So th- this, there's an inevitability here that you need to really understand. Like there was no turning back at that point in time. There's
0: no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no chance. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There's there's zero possibility of uh, of 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 hope of you know whatever. But like the the insane amount of." For me, it's not guilt, at least not yet. You know, I don't feel, like, emotionally the guilt, but my bride does. And oh. that kills me. Ugh. And then on top of that, we're going to have to get a follow-up surgery yeah. to remove the uterus. And on that cuts so deep because it makes me feel like... Um, uh, It cuts so deep because I don't know how to make her feel whole. Yeah, I know exactly what you are uh, talking about. And you just sit here as a husband and you long, you long to make things better for her. And I do. I do. Like, you know, all this stuff has confirmed for me how much I love my wife. Because I don't want to be anywhere else than with her while she's suffering. Right. And if, you know, if people knew me and what was really going on in my head, half the time I'm around crying people, I'm like, oh dear God, how do I get out of this? How do I end the conversation? Where's my exit strategy? But for her, it's like, how can I take this burden from her? How can I help her through this? How can I walk with her, accompany her? I'll even use that word. And, um, you know, this is the the craziness of Christian marriage. Is like this is the four worst part because she does not, she does, she does not like life right now, and neither do I. But we still love each other, and I feel like that's all I have right now, and it's enough. Mm. Like, it's enough to get us through whatever the heck this is in our life. Yeah. Um, But, man, does it hurt? It hurts so crazy much. So, the good news is all I'm working for, for her and for me, is a beautiful stability. Like, we haven't, I mean, if you think about it, Luke, you know, and and me sharing this on Catching Foxes. We haven't had stability since Holy Week in April. And just everything has been up and down, up and down, and the hurt and the anguish and the, like, dealing with it and the moving on and yeah. the whatever. Yeah. But, like, in this moment right now, like, the, the fact that we just walked through a razor-thin margin between life and death is, like, holy crap. How, how do you even begin to process that? I don't, I don't even know. So I drink.
0: You know what's funny? I was t- talking to – I don't know if I should share this or not. So, um, Yeah, yeah. Go. Okay. For it. I was talking with Aaron. So just full context, you had texted us about this. You had texted our uh, WhatsApp group about this like like a, a, a couple of days ago now, like last week. And I was telling Aaron, I was like, this is just so crazy. I, I, and I was like, what would I have done if the worst had happened? And like without even thinking, I was like, well, I just would have moved to Houston. <laughs> Like, like, I didn't even, like, like, honestly, I, I was like, yeah, we just would have moved to Houston. Like, there's just no, there's no, there's just no, I, it, it, it's one of those, and I, I bring this up, like, not to be like, aren't I a good friend? um But, like, <laughs> you are, Luke. Full house. You are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, Uncle Joe is here. What? Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cut it um. out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Um, it. I like that. I because it was just so like I wouldn't know what else to do. And the thing about these things that are so weird is they're just thinking of like I like like the um the helplessness, yeah, that can only really be met with either like I don't know what else to do but be here or a dramatic action. They're really kind of the same thing, right? Because it's just like there's no other option but to do this. So my option is to, like, like – and it's such a – when you go through something like that or when you're in the middle of that, like, life doesn't make sense. But then it also kind of makes sense in a way that's, like, really profound. And it's a – and I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And it's tough. And I'm I, i, I I'm even, like, pissed at myself for trying to like, let's make a teachable moment out of this because I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to pitch for content here. But, you know, like, I – I I, just that thing of like, what else can you do but be by her? Yeah. I don't, I, and I, that's, that's the, that's, I thought that after Aaron's two miscarriages, where it's like, I don't know what to do because right now Aaron wants nothing to do with me or she wants everything to do with me or she wants to be alone and she just wants to nap and now I'm stuck. And that feeling of like, I don't know what to do, but I will just try to be here is a really, um, it's, there's no, sh- I, I, I know we talked about this last week, but there's no shadow in like the shade, in the shade of the cross, right? Or
1: whatever. like no, no shade, shade of the cross. in the shadow of the cross.
0: Yeah. And like, sometimes I, like, that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's what makes the cross the cross. And it doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it easy. And it's not like I would like love to move to Houston under those um, circumstances, but like, I wouldn't know what else to do like i truly i would I i w i couldn't live with myself i think if i didn't do that and it like i i it's we're all like here's like here's the thing if you haven't faced any anything like this like you will because there's no way you can live a sacramental life you can truly live a vocation and not experience this right there's just, there's just, like, there's no way you can be open to, like, this is, this is like, the pain of being, this is why, like, people who hate, like, pro-life, I'm, like, I'm people who hate the fact that people have kids, I'm just like, oh, screw you. Like, you're yeah. such a selfish asshole. Like, <laughs> and I mean in the sense of, like, you have no idea what people are opening themselves up to by being open to
1: life. The type of people who call people with children breeders.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking yeah, at yeah. you, Marvel's Jessica Jones. You know, and, um, like, and I know there are some people who have said, hey, we've just decided to not have kids. I'm like, that's fine. But, like, you know, it, it feels like there's always this, this bit of, like, and you should applaud us for that. Um, I'm like, no, you're taking the easy way out. Like, like you're, if you decide to not have kids because whatever reason, like, you know, they're not, they're, I can understand there's, like, legit, sometimes there are legit reasons. I just mean out of, like, no, I would rather, like, you know, vacation in, in the Hamptons. Or like whatever, be able to go see like a movie like every weekend. Like you're you're it's a it's it's a it's a cop out, and it like like you're never gonna know profound love or profound community if you don't open your if you're like this is what vulnerability like being unvulnerable is like how can I let this person into my heart like that's bullshit like this is real vulnerability where it's like like Shannon was like. Like, I, I still can't even comprehend it. You know, I'm still like, holy crap, this actually happened. Like, this actually happened. And, like, you're there. You know, and that's, like, what real vulnerability, that's what really i letting a person in to the point where it's, like, yeah, like, your health and your lives and this whole thing can just be uprooted and, like, your heart can be destroyed. And that's what, like, being a real mother is about, is, like, allowing yourself to, like, go through an experience where like you can hear the heartbeat and then you don't like that's a real mom. That's what a real mom does is she opens up her life and her body to be able to experience
1: that. So I'm, I'm super blessed in my job because I work with teenagers. Now I'm soon going to be working with children because I'm taking over all of elementary faith formation, pre-K, you know, first sacraments, all that stuff. But I get to be with parents who are at every stage of the journey. Baby boomers whose children are 40s and 50-year-old who have left the faith, and their children were raised in an atheistic or just non-theistic family. I'm working with teenagers who are struggling with religion. I'm working with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm working with young adults who are abandoning, like, whose families are writing them out of wills because they became Catholic. Mm. Right? Like, I will never speak to you again if you become Roman Catholic. And they're doing it because they're convicted of the truth. I have you know you experience the gamut and it's crazy what um what the value of suffering teaches a human person in the midst of this of like our if our daily context is not filled with suffering every day and it's for like my life filled with comfort and joy and cable um and Luke on 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 podcast and <laughs> patreon.com/cf and all the beautiful things, like it is very easy to think that the most important thing is an uninterrupted streaming episode on Netflix. Like, oh, come on! Why, what is the deal? Why is it buffering? You know, why is my YouTube clip buffering? Like, yeah. we lose our shit over the smallest things. That I will say, and like, and this is so like stupid and lame, but sometimes suffering puts things radically in perspective but i can i can i confess to you luke i do have a problem and i'm going to admit that it's a problem i am scared, fuck i don't want to i don't want to turn this into last week's episode <sighs> i am scared to go to bed at night sometimes because of my mind wandering so what i have been doing is staying up and watching endless YouTube clips at one after the other until I'm so tired I'm falling asleep with the remote in my hand. Then I give my dog a treat, lock the kennel, go upstairs, and I'm asleep within, you know, thirty seconds of my head hitting the pillow, usually around one or two in the morning, and I wake up at five thirty or six thirty and I go downstairs, wash, rinse, repeat. And I, my wife does the opposite. She goes to bed at a reasonable time. She wakes up at three thirty, and she's racked with guilt and pain and suffering. And she can't go back to sleep until five thirty. And that's when I'm getting out of bed. And now she should I get up? Should I do this? Do I do that? So it's this crazy cycle. I know what I'm doing, right? That's why I told you tonight. Like you want to, you, you want to. You're like, you got your work thing till eight. You want to talk at 10. You want to talk at midnight. I'm good. I'll do whatever because I don't want to go to bed because then when I'm, if I'm still awake and I'm laying in my bed, I have to think sad thoughts that I can't control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I am, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm avoiding and medicating with, you know, television, YouTube in particular, God bless YouTube. Yeah, but there's a certain, like... There, there is. I, I. There is. And I know what you're going to say, because one... And I, I want to thank you for saying that. One of our um, Patreon supporters said, You know what, Gormley? Sometimes you just need to rest. You don't need to deal. You don't need to pray. You don't need to... And I would say, honestly, I feel like I'm doing that. I have distraction. I have work. I have friends who love me. Like, I really do have everything I need. In a lot of ways. I got community. I got I I didn't Can I tell you a funny story? Here's a funny story. We have a meal train of people for the next, you know, two weeks or for the first two weeks making us food. Hilariously, my coworker made us food today, stored it in a refrigerator at our church, and people ate it. Oh no. They ate our dinner. Oh my god! They gosh. went into someone's grocery bags in Tupperware bins with everything nicely separated because kids are picky eaters. That's a and little ate weird. All of our food. I think it was an accident because teachers is an in-service, and I think teachers but, are the worst. Like, and <laughs> not everything revolves around you. Good lord! So the funniest thing is, Good gosh, she comes over to our house, and me and her, we had like a two-hour meeting today. Like I love this woman, and uh, her husband <laughs> listens. Right? And so they're going to get a kick out of this. But uh, she comes over, and she's like, and I was like, how did I beat you? I left like 20 minutes after you. And she's like, well, I made a right because the traffic was nuts because school's starting up and all this stuff. And we all got caught in this horrific traffic. She goes, well, I had to go home because I had to give you my family's dinner because someone ate your dinner. (laughs) I'm like, Oh. oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. But it was awesome. It was. I seldom. need you to
0: understand how mad I am of that. Like a teacher did that. Like, oh, because like, I just know no, 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 the no, no 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 no
1: no like like an in-service. Like they thought it was their lunch. Yeah, food. yeah. Whatever. Because <laughs> they think the world revolves around them, so they didn't ask. They just went in
0: there. I hate that crap. They like just if, if you're listening, feel guilty. <laughs> the world doesn't revolve around you. Take five seconds. Oh, can you tell that I'm work just like school? Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know how, how the teachers are at this school. So like. Like, the jury's out still. But I can just tell you right now, I've been around people who are just like, oh, the world revolves around me. Oh, God. Listen, my mom's a teacher. She's a wonderful one who poured her heart and soul into it. She's not going around being like, gimme, 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 gimme. Like, you know, it's just like, it's, I know the kind of teacher that, um, that um, did this, and they are dead inside. And they're like, <laughs> obviously dead inside. You know, it's the one where it's like, hey, you're talking too much to the kids about this stuff. Or like, hey, yeah, like, you're like, oh, you have so many opinions. Mm, Garfield, a cat. Aldania, mm, Mondays. Am I right? You know, like, ugh. <laughs> You have so many wounds. I love it. Can you, I love like, it. Dude. I have, like, mental images coming to my mind. I'm like, and this person, and that person.
1: Utah. Utah. Idaho. Idaho.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: not, not. special. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was so funny. And, I mean, Gabby's uh, incredible, and I love her to death. She's got such a servant's heart, and all she wants to do is the best for people. And I will say, her food was incredible. My kids ate it in 10 minutes, and uh, it was annihilated not because there wasn't enough but my kids loved it that much um (laughs) but here's the sad part can i tell you the really sad part luke (laughs) Mm -hmm. i uh discovered something new on youtube
0: (laughs) i was like he's either either completely serious or he's kidding so i was about to say
1: it's gonna get worse kids but i didn't want to in case it was serious (laughs) luke but i thought it okay so, my YouTube journey has taken me oh, to the realm God, of finance.
0: What now? Fire.
1: Right? We got car detailing. And let's not own. forget
0: the always enjoyable fail videos. And I'm just like, okay, one's funny. Three's a bit much. Oh, oh five. Okay. <laughs> my
1: daughter, my daughter, <laughs> my 11-year-old is on this kick where she desperately wants to stay up with mom and dad and not be like her little brothers and sister who need yeah. to go to bed. Yeah. So, I'm like, all right, God, well, what do you want to watch? She's like, fail videos, Dad. And I'm like, it's like i'm going Welcome to adulthood. This is all there is. <laughs> this is it. This is it. So I was watching this thing on Elon Musk's Cybertruck, and she's like, Dad, <laughs> put on a fail video. And I'm like, this is what I watch at night. I want to... Okay, let's watch fail videos. <laughs> we watched, literally, we watched three in a row. So, um, yeah, we're living your nightmare, and it's beautiful, and I have no regrets. I made Flat Flatlookie watch a 10-minute thing
0: on Elon Musk about something that didn't make a lot of sense, because he brought up an HVAC system. <laughs> then I fast forward and skipped over, and I was like, well, that's the interesting part. Yeah, it was
1: interesting. I ended up watching that video after you left because I didn't think you responded well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested, and you changed it. I didn't know. I couldn't tell from your face. Uh, <laughs> it was
0: what? Yeah, I literally said, oh, yeah, Then what, what did you have on that I was like? You kind of are a YouTube addict. Like, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. I, yeah, so, like, I, what was it? You, you were watching Tesla? Okay, it was clearly a video for people who own Teslas because on the Tesla they have – there are cameras and it's showing people freaking out on people
1: driving (laughs) Teslas. (laughs) (laughs) Now Tesla has this new thing where it shoots a quote-unquote laser to alert you that Tesla is monitoring you. But sometimes it goes off like crazy. Yeah, it's called the – I I can't remember. It's Century. They have the – like Tesla has all these cameras that monitor so you can do the auto drive thing. But, when you park your car, if it detects people nearby, the cameras will turn on and record, and all these people are getting their Teslas keyed and all this stuff for no reason oh, and there so, are reasons well i mean so the videos that I have seen are for like some person parks five space or five you know rows away from the nearest entrance, and then someone will park next to them, even though there's no other cars anywhere they'll park right next to them, key them, yeah. and then drive away. So, it's stuff like that that I think is, like, crazy funny. Um, but now that people know about sentry mode, people set off the sentry mode and then do funny dances. It's a thing.
0: It's a that's thing. That's funny. See, that's funny. That's funny. I'll,
1: I'll allow that. So, now there's a new thing I've discovered on YouTube. Oh. oh it's not car detailing. It's not woodworking. It's not? Okay. What okay. is it? Tell me. Okay. I don't know how to say this without you dismissing me. I think I, I, you'll like it. I already have. Damn it. Years ago. I'm threading a needle. I'm threading a needle. So two nights ago, I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to sleep. Not that I couldn't sleep. I did not want to sleep. I'm flipping through. And I discover I, I, I believe it's called and, and I'll put it in the show notes later. Um why cats the musical, the movie I failed. You. I
0: hate you. I hate oh okay. Why I it failed. It. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so everyone says it failed because the cat thing, Uncanny Valley, and it's weird, and the CGI, and all this stuff. The oh the buttholes no. and the whatnot. And the buttholes and the whatnot. This guy does the most incredible deep dive into the musicals. Like, the actual music itself. He does it to cats. He draws in the original musical. And the, there's a famous one from, like, 1998 that was recorded. The stage performance was recorded. And he compares it to the current movie with, you know, um, what's her name? Uh, Jennifer Hudson and, 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 you know, whatever. All the people. His hour and ten minute long <laughs> video of why it sucks Was so masterful. Of course, I watched it at almost double speed. Was so masterful, I could not turn it off. And his essential... I mean, and then he goes and he brings in Les Miserables, the movie, with uh, Russell Crowe and um, Wolverine and all the other people. Um, What's her name? Uh, Anne Anne Hathaway. Gosh, I can only remember. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, thank you. I was about to say The the Princess Diaries. Because I can only remember these people from children's movies now. Um, But the... uh, Like, why it sucked... And he goes through, and like a like a genius, because he's a, you know, master's level, you know, musical theater guy or whatever. But he goes, like, scene by scene and shows you why these things are terrible. And I'm watching this thing on Cats, and I've never seen the Cats musical. I have no desire to. But when he tells you the story of the original stage production of Cats... He shows you that the movie literally got the whole point of Cats the musical wrong, which is about physical touch. Huh. So he shows you all of these scenes where this one woman, the famous woman who's the famous cat, excuse me, female feline, sings "Memories," right? Memories all alone yep. in the moonlight. Well, there's like four, three or four different versions of memories. She goes and she wants to be a part of these Jellicoe cats or whatever. I don't understand anything. She wants to be a part of this clique. She can't be a part of this clique. She longs to. She's matted for all this stuff. And there's the guy who's kind of like the impromptu head of the clique. His name is Deuteronomy, which is fascinating. And at one point, she sings the first rendition of Memories, which is Memory All Alone in the Moonlight, which is the song, the version of it that everyone remembers. And what she does in the play, in the stage play, she reaches her right hand behind her back, and she's singing all alone, but Deuteronomy is there, big fat cat. He's there in the background. He reaches out for her from, like, 50 feet away, and she puts her paw, hand, you right, behind her, right hand, and she extends it towards him, but without running to him. And she's longing to be touched. And so if you know anything about cats, physically, they're always touching and rubbing against each other. And that's what they do in the movie Cats, or in the musical. They're always touching each other. And that's part of the whole Cats thing, which is all weird and sexualized and blah, blah, blah. But the whole point of the movie is at the very end, she gets accepted into the Jellicoe cat thing. And she's allowed to be touched. And she sings "Memory." uh, What is the phrase that she says? Like, I'm a, oh gosh, like basically it's, I'm alone. Won't you touch me, or something like that? Like she's screaming for them to touch her, and eventually they all, the older cats who hate her, yield, and the younger cats who think she's interesting, everyone like welcomes her back, and then she's reborn. Blah blah blah. But in the in the movie. They're always touching this person. They add new characters who have nothing to do with the plot line. Uh, Angelica, H- or Angelica, Houston, that's so weird. Um, Jennifer Hudson's character is this Jellico cat who wants to be a part. She's, like, yearning to be touched. Well, there's, like, a bunch of times where she's touched, and she just goes away. And Like, they completely ruin everything. They delete songs huh. that they feel like don't hit it, like, hit the point of the song. And, you know, Cats was amazing because it brought in, like, this huge spectacle. And that's what it was supposed to be. Fun spectacle, sexualized energy, blah, blah, blah. But there's cats. this. But with cats. With adults who are very sexy and very athletic wearing skin-tight suits, right? Body suits. That's really what Cats is about. But there's this thread of this of this desperate need for contact. And in the movie... They keep like at one point this new character that they added touches Jennifer Hudson and she runs away from her after she touches. But no, that's all she she's excluded and she needs that physical touch. And I'm sitting there, <laughs> like two o'clock in the morning, in in nothing other than my underwear, like a gentleman. I probably have an empty pint of ice cream because I hate myself and I hate the world. And I'm watching this and I'm like. How sacramental is Cats? That was the first thing that came into my head. How wondrously, wondrously sacramental is Cats? The second thought that came into my head was, Luke is going to yell at me? No, no, just check out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Then I watched That's... 12 other videos by Sideways, who is the guy that does this. And he is masterful. I made my wife watch it, and she's like, <laughs> holy crap, this is fascinating. The the Miz. Like uh, you know how everyone blames Russell Crowe for having a terrible voice, even though he actually is a like a folk rock singer. It was fine. No, but that's the meme is his his singing parts are actually really terrible. But one of the things that they talk about is why did Wolverine what's his name Hugh Jackman Jackman. why did he suck in these various scenes? And it's because he like it it is Luke from a musical perspective you would love it because in a musical you have to sing with the music. But they wanted to make it a movie, which follows actors acting. Uh... And so the problem is Hugh Jackman is not singing to the beat or the rhythm of the music. So they literally had to create five layers of, of ways of manipulating the music so that eventually... Like, they had literally a person on set with a piano playing the music. They had a click track... In the actor's ear, and that they ignored because they, who is this man? What sort of devil is he? To have me put in a trap and choosing, let me go free. But then instead, it was like, who is this man? What sort of devil is he? Because they're trying to act instead of just sing. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And the best, and the guy goes, he goes, you know, the best parts of both Cats and Les Miserables? The dancing scenes, because dancers need a click track. And the orchestra can play to the click track to the dancer. So all of the scenes where they're singing and dancing, that is where the both of these musicals, which are by the same director, by the way, who's terrible, they nail it. But the moment it goes to the actors who are singing, they fail it. And it's all off. Whether it's uh, Anne Hathaway singing, and it's a, it, that she won a Tony for but you actually, if you blank out the screen, she's like snotting because she's crying. She's acting. But she's trying yeah. to sing. You can't yeah. sing while you're crying. And he breaks down the scene like you actors and, or mu- mu- um vocalists fake. They draw you, they, you. If you're watching a musical on a Broadway stage, you think they're crying, but they're not because they know that the moment they start literally crying, it damages their vocal cords. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's so, like, the opening number looked down with Hugh Jackman in the, in the famous opening of Les Mis. He fasted for 10 days without taking a, a, any water because he needed to look emaciated like a prisoner. But that destroys your vocal cords. Vocal cords, yeah. So it sucked. Yeah. And this guy's like, it is, it is shocking that the actors and actresses in this movie did not walk away with permanent voice box damage permanent. Because he was singing for like seven, eight hours. That's why Russell Crowe sounds terrible. It's because it's the seventh hour he's filmed this one scene of singing. Like where uh, Javert commits suicide. He's like, how many times can one man die in the commentary? He's like, we literally did it for seven hours.
0: It's like, talk. I can talk. He can talk. I can sing. (laughs) I can
1: sing. (laughs) (laughs) So I have watched multiple hours of this one guy sideways.
0: Woo.
1: I think I've seen his stuff before for other things. It is so good. Sounds man. familiar.
0: Nice. That's awesome. I was do a cool audio book, but I'm super tired, so I might have to go soon.
1: No, I'm no, sorry. no. What's your audiobook, Luke? This is uh, a hopeless the War episode. For Late, Late is... Night. <gasps> about it's so good. Is this about Leno and Letterman, or is this about no? It's, it's the same guy.
0: And... It's about Conan and Letterman. Sorry, Conan. Oh, it's man. about. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, um, Letterman's a part of it, obviously, but it's about. Uh, it's about Conan and Leno, and it, it was Ooh. wonderful, wonderful. Like, a lot of good stuff that gave me a lot of thoughts for, for the podcast that I talked – I actually uh, talked with Greg about it for a bit. That was really helpful. That's some stuff that I want to, to talk with you about. But, like, just, like, the tension of, like, good like work versus good work. Like, I, I kind of left it feeling like, yeah, Conan got screwed. That sucks. But then still being like, I don't feel as – I see where Conan – I, like, admire Conan more, actually, but I see where he failed, and I like Jay almost less, but I also see where he wasn't quite the evil genius people made him out to be. And I, like, I don't want to give anything away, not that it matters, but it, it's just, it's really interesting to see their, like, different approaches to, like, their jobs. And put it in the context of, like, you know, the the podcast and the tension that we experienced with, like, wanting to create stuff, but then like, be like, well, the money's nice, and, uh, to, you know, and all that stuff, and, like, how, that balance between kind of art, art um, and, and commerce, and it's just really, really fascinating to see how that all went down.
1: Who do you think is most to blame for that situation between Leno reprising his role somewhat and Conan being ejected?
0: Ultimately it's the network, but one of the yeah. points of the book, which I think I'm kind of I don't want to give anything away. I don't know. I'd no, give it away. So many, spoiler alert. Book. Like yeah. it's the network's fault. <laughs> Conan, like, Conan
1: is off the air. <laughs> what?
0: But you no, know, it's the network's fault. But like they like they, the, the I think the epilogue's called the network is eternal. So there's this thing where it's like, yeah, it's our fault, but like screw you, we're the network. Like this is our like we're always gonna be around. So whoopsies, whatever. Moving on, yeah, and um, they bring this point that I didn't realize how m- much Jerry Seinfeld was on Jay Leno's side, and he's, and even on um, Lauren Michaels to a certain extent, um, just being like, look, it wasn't getting the ratings, and that's what this is about, and like that's the bottom line, and, and like Jerry Seinfeld, he brings up this point where where he's like you know for 20 years everyone needs to talk about who's going to take over the tonight show when johnny carson uh, retires but the thing that i like saw that johnny even pointed out to jerry upsike while well, they were getting um dinner after he had retired was the tonight show ended with 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 johnny carson because from that point in time it stops being called the the you didn't say i'm doing the tonight show you said i'm doing um Leno or i'm doing dave or i'm yeah. doing conan And it never again is it like – like the Tonight Show isn't this – isn't for us the gold standard of um, late night TV. I think that like um, Letterman is for people – probably um, Letterman and or Conan, but it's in terms of quality, not the – not this – Zeitgeist, not, you know, you yeah. know I don't, there, there There, is, it's Saturday night, I guess you could say it's Saturday Night Live, kind of that, but it just doesn't exist because it's a different time, and people want different things from it, and the show's done, and I think, and Conan, and th- this was also really interesting, there's a bit of a religious context t- to this, which is gonna, I don't know if, I may have been reading too much into this, and I certainly hope I don't come across as an anti-Semite, well, i say it's too late. I think it was like Lorne Michaels, who is—he's uh, like Jewish, was saying, you know, like Jews don't believe, like we—I mean, he's kind of being tongue in cheek, but he says like we don't believe in martyrs. So this whole thing of like the ship was sinking, just say this isn't working, and, the sh- and like, that's like that's what ultimately is the factor what determines what you're going to be doing. And I thought about Conan, I was like Conan was so willing to be a martyr for the Tonight Show. And I was like, I wonder if there is a little bit of like a Catholic thing to that where it's just like you – I'm not saying that Jewish people don't prize a martyrdom or don't admire people who die for the faith. Please don't think that I'm saying – but I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm wondering is like it made me kind of contrast this a little bit of like I wonder if his willingness to be a martyr for this comes from his Catholic background or are like, are, are like a willingness to accept, to die – Again, this, I wish I hadn't brought up the Jewish parts, but it, it, it's, it's what like caused me to think about it in a religious context. So, Lauren like, Michaels said that, yeah, yeah, and he didn't go as far to be like, well, he does kind of say like Conan does was willing to be a martyr for this, and he's like he didn't need to be. And I, I think I think he's got a point. I think that Lauren Michaels does have a point, which is why I'm I'm a little bit like, yeah, Conan like. But I also admire the fact that he that he did that. And I wonder how much of that is just influenced by you know, he's he is a Catholic and a fairly I don't know if he's would consider himself to be a practicing one, but it's he brings it up all the time. He had a priest who even um, stalked him. Um He had a priest who what? Yeah, he had a priest who stalked him for like two years. It's really messed up. The priest was on lay sides with the Archdiocese of Um Boston, but the guy was like messed up. And he thought, stalk- yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> That's hilarious. I had no it's idea. It's crazy. Um, and so, like, I just wonder how much was, like, did his, like, does your religion and how you, I don't know. It, it was, it was, I just thought it was really interesting, this idea of, like, how willing, I mean, he basically said, I'm not doing this because this isn't what The Tonight Show is. And people were like, why didn't you take this? This is a job. like, And that's how, like, Jay Leno, like, he, he viewed it purely as a job. Yeah. As you would, like, if you have a sales guy who gets moved to this different market and it doesn't work, so they want to bring him back to his old market. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're screwing over with the other people. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, he's he's going to make the money. And Jay came back and Jay got better ratings. Jay was like, I mean, we all admit, and everyone admits, and Jay would even admit, like, he was the highest rated Um, late night guy but like the in terms of the best that is letterman yeah and he just but he didn't care for him it's a job like it's it's a job it's a job and for conan it wasn't it was like he kept like conan would put like you know like conan honestly had this attitude of, of like hear people out and then just keep doing your own your own thing that's what him and that's what him and his producer did and then Jay was constantly paying attention to what the ratings were. Constantly trying to uh, win the approval of all of the, of all of the affiliates. Jay, like, was trying to sell his show so that they could stay on the air. Because that's what he saw it as. is like he's selling ad space. Like, he's supposed to create a good show so that they can sell ads, ad space. And that was yeah. his job. And he did it by telling jokes. And... Uh, Conan wanted to put on the best show that he that he could, and like he, I mean, you've seen in, in Conan's last his last um, speech that he gave on his show that when it aired on on TBS. If if you view his last last speech compare it to to Jay Leno's last speech, Jay's talking about like you know proud of being like a union show, and he's talking about like the work of it. Where Conan ends by talking about he all he wanted to do was find this area where smart and funny met. And so, like, and that was the difference of, of these guys. Like, Jay's a craftsman. Conan is an artist. And ultimately, I don't think an artist could have been in that 1135 time slot. Because and that's what, and then people tried to tell Conan that. But his whole thing had been, like, just ignore people. Keep doing what, what, what he's going to do. Which was, like, and it's, it's just interesting. It's, and I, I had a good chat with Uncle Greg about it. It's, it's really, it's really, really fascinating. And ultimately, like, here's the crazy part. If they had... So this all starts, because in 2002, Conan becomes, like, a really big deal around that point in time. And they lock Conan down over to, because they go, we need to keep... But they don't want to do it immediately, so they want to have a succession plan. And Jay doesn't want to retire, but they're telling him, like, hey, you're being kicked out. We need to move towards the future. Well... If they had let Conan go to Fox, which was a deal that, like, Conan turned down a huge Fox deal, a huge Fox deal to do the, to stay with NBC because there's a chance of doing the, around 2004, he turned down uh, Fox in order to have a chance of doing the Tonight Show. It meant that, that much to him. They had estimated that if he had left to go to Fox at that point in time, they would have lost $245 million. And when they paid him off, at when all this stuff happened in 2010, they only paid him $47 dollars. So when you do the math, NBC comes out ahead. Now it's a PR nightmare, especially for him and Jay, him and Jay, like Jay, like Jay Leno is probably more derided than he sh- than he should be, honestly. Um, but I also am just like, yeah, but Conan, like, like people won't like, damn it, it's Conan, like, don't do that to Conan, you know? Yeah. So. It's, it's weird how I, I haven't changed my mind, but I have much a better understanding of the fault of Conan and the um, appeal of and the good part of Jay Leno.
1: Super, super interesting. You know, it's so funny. It's funny because as a family, you know, I lived in Southern California in, every summer for four years in a row. Jay Leno was everything, right? This was at the, at the height. Of mm-hmm. our thing, and I didn't get David Letterman. I didn't get the, the top 10. I didn't get why the first one I thought was supposed to be the funniest was the dumbest, you know. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. get his yeah, yeah. shtick until I was probably 17 years old as opposed to 10.
0: But apparently, Jay's the better stand up, which is like because, like, Jay would like, like David Letterman has like eight jokes in and, you know, his monologue where Jay Leno has, had, like, up 30-plus. Yeah. And 80% of his time, they say, was on the monologue, and that's what he cared about. It's like zip, 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 you know, that kind of... that's what he did. And Jay worked his butt off. Like, he worked re- He was doing stand-up. Anytime there was a break, he did stand-up. Anytime there was whatever... You know, they weren't doing the show, he was doing stand-up, and Dave never did any of that. And Conan's actually kind of more like Jay... And that's where he's yeah. always doing stuff. But because, like, Conan's a constant showman, which I think is one of his appeals. Like, he's constantly trying to think, how can I entertain you? Or how can I? And I, um, I'm excited about his, about his variety show on HBO because I heard him on the Nerdist podcast way back when. And he was saying how his goal for the Tonight Sh- for Late Night with Conan was that he was, like, treating it almost like a variety show every night. And they were just exhausting everyone, and it was too much. But now that's what he's doing on HBO. He's doing a weekly variety show, and I'm really excited to see what that because I, I Conan's probably Conan, in a weird way, is almost like a mix between the two. Because Conan ha, Conan's not he doesn't like doing uh, stand up, but he likes to be funny like like Dave can be can be funny. But I think he has Jay's ability to like work a crowd better than Dave could. I mean, Dave can, but it is subtle. You know, where I think Conan's more of looking me go, oh, I'm a dancer. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, it really gave me a lot to think about with us. And just what I know we're being too um, self-referential, which is a good point that Greg uh, told me. But I, it really caused me to think like, I, for us, I'm, I, I need to talk more about this. I'm with you. But I think I'm leaning towards wanting to be a bit more intentional with how we, with like how we do the show. I, I don't know if you can find a balance, but I want to try to find that balance between, like, I think ultimately I would rather create stuff that we, that we like and we think is good. But I do want to find a way to also keep getting right.